Hello, I'm Dee Dee Bass Wilbon. And I'm Dina Bass Williams. And we are, we are the Bass Sisters. Thank you so much for joining us for our virtual, our weekly virtual roundtable on how to best communicate conservative principles. As the economy slowly and safely begins to reopen, we look um, forward to doing these roundtables with you guys, um, but we really look forward to you having a piece of our mom's pound cake. Yes. Oh my goodness, absolutely. We look forward to seeing you face to face and having a piece of mama's pound cake. I actually asked her to put a piece in an envelope and mail it to me. Uh, so we'll see if I get that. But anyway, um, since we can't be together, we'll, we'll continue to do these virtual roundtables, as Dee Dee said. So um, in the meantime, we're just excited that you're here joining us for this um, conversation for the second week of Policy and Pound Cake um, virtual style. Uh, I'd like to first, you know, we want to recap what we talked about last week. And so last week we introduced the definition of capitalism and we offer what we believe are three myths of capitalism. And there they are scrolling across the screen, the myths. Okay. So just to, to reset and go back for those who were not with us last week and for those who were with us last week, but may not remember the definition of capitalism, um, and we're all so that we can all be on the same page. Capitalism is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. So let's just put it out there. We have searched and we have found no government that's 100% capitalist, not even the good old US of A. Um, there are examples of where trade and industry are controlled by the government or the state to use the, the language from our definition. Um, but public transportation, police departments, every branch of the U.S. military, mm -hmm. Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid, public hospitals, public parks, and the U.S. Postal Service um, are all examples of trade controlled by the government. And we cannot make a strong case for removing the government from its role in most of those areas. It's necessary for the government to not only have skin in the game, but to dominate the game when it comes to our police departments and our military. Um, but we still say that in areas like the public, the public transportation, the US Postal Service and the, the government can greatly benefit by having competition from the free market and private industry. Some may say that um, Amazon, UPS, DP, um, um, DHL mm -hmm. are all putting the US Postal Service out of business. We say these private companies are just forcing the US Postal Service to step up their game just to do a little bit better. What do you think, Dana? Absolutely, I agree with you 100%. Um, competition creates uh, com competition only makes us better. And I think the U.S. Postal Service is, um, is create, it has better services because of competition um, from Amazon and DHL and UPS. But um, like Didi said, there are sprinkles of socialism in our economy. However, I think it's fair to say that the U.S. is mostly driven by a capitalist economy. It's mostly capitalism. Um, 
And soon we'll, we will bring in socialism. I think maybe next week we begin next to week. talk a little bit more about socialism. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, but for now, we want to make sure that we're laser focused. We're laser focused with messaging on capitalism. So as we said last week, capitalism needs guardrails to protect against things like price gouging during pandemics when Lysol is like $1,000 and it needs to protect against monopolies. But um, the reason we are pro-capitalism and pro-capitalist is because for us, capitalism, it equals freedom. Um, we see it as the best system to allow a person to um, uh, move beyond their socioeconomic status of their birth. Um, so your destiny is charted by your actions, not by the station of your birth in capitalism. And we know that we're going to get some side eyes from some of our left-leaning friends on this one, but please hear us out. So we agree, if you are born into stark poverty in the US, your chances of living the life of the rich and famous are less likely than if you are born rich and famous. But that's not our point. The point is that you have the freedom to move your economic station through your thrift, through enterprise, through ingenuity, through innovation, um, through grit, huts by hard work. Now remember, capitalism means that trade and industry is controlled by private owners, you and me. So that means that through our ingenuity, through our thrift, we are able to move um, beyond the zip code of our birth. Exactly. And so that brings us to the meat of today's uh, topic, what we call capitalism myth number three. The myth is that capitalism is a zero-sum game. That is a myth. And if I could write it on a big board, I would probably write it in all capital letters. We do not believe that capitalism is a zero-sum game. I love what Ron Rule says about the issue. He says that I'm just, and I'm going to just read it to you exactly. The beauty of capitalism is that how much someone else has in the bank does not affect your ability to generate wealth of your own. Amen. It's not like there are a finite amount of dollars out there and it's impossible to get any of them because they're all trapped in the bank accounts of the wealthy. We have fiat currency. That means our money supply is, a is in a constant state of growth. The dollars are available for the taking and your ability to generate wealth isn't limited by how much someone else already has. So a zero sum gain would assume that there is just one pie or one pot of money. And, and let's say that the, the pie has five slices and I take a slice, well, there's four slices left. Um, no, because in the, in the free markets of capitalism, I can take a slice of a pie or a pot of money, but you can bake another pie or in essence, create another pot of money. Um, also, it means that Dina can bake another pie and create another pot of money. So the only thing that limits the number of pies that are baked is a desire for more pies mm. or the desire for better pies or different kinds of pies. Um, Right. I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Dina? Absolutely. I think that's a great example. I love that example. And also we can create new markets for not only pies, but pound cake or. Right. You know, exactly. And so there's an unlimited number of pies that can be baked and there are an unlimited number of pots of money that are, uh, that can be generated. So 
there you have it. Capitalism is not a zero sum game. Not at all. So next week we will we'll focus, we'll talk about zero sum game and, and the power of supply and demand. But before we close out this week, we want to introduce to you um, the words of James Garfield, who's become one of, he's a president that nobody really talks about that much, but he's becoming one of our favorites, um, especially after reading The Destiny of the Republic by Candace Miller. Um, I think he's, he's definitely one of my favorite commanders in chiefs. What about you, Dana? Absolutely. Great book. So on December 2nd, 1859, he wrote these words in his journal. A dark day for our country, John Brown is to be hung at Charleston, Virginia. Mm. I have no language to express the con conflict of emotion in my heart. I do not justify his acts by no means but I do accord to him and I think every man must honesty of purpose and sincerity of heart. Wow. President Garfield closed that journal entry with these words saying, brave man, old hero, farewell. Your death shall be dawn of a better day. And he wrote this in Latin and I'm not gonna completely mess it up, but basically he said, slavery be damned. Right, exactly. Wow. wow. <laughs> right. I know. Okay, so let's not even talk about the revisionist history that has been painted of John Brown. Um, what did you say he said? He called him um, brave man, mm -hmm. old hero, brave man, old hero. Um, yep. So uh, we'll have a, another policy and pound cake about revisionist history, you know, of John Brown. But um, to have the words of a future president so passionately writing, I think like in 1859, this was written. Um, mm -hmm. Slavery be damned. I love it. Uh, and I know <laughs> we know you're thinking now, what does any of this have to do with capitalism? Uh, bear with us a bit longer and I promise it will make sense. So Dee Dee read from Garfield's journal and I want to read a passage from one of Gar from not one of his only inaugural speech because he was assassinated before he could make another, but um, John Gar Garfield's inaugural address in 1881. Um, if you don't happen to have the book of inaugural speeches, you can Google it. Um, let me find it here. Dee Dee of course has the book of inaugural speeches, but but they are all now, fortunately, we can get them on Google. And in this passage, again, he is talking specifically about ending slavery. Um, this speech was written in 18, was delivered in 1881, like I said, 16 years after the Civil War. So here we go. So he's talking about ending slavery. It, ending slavery, has added immensely to the moral and industrial forces of our people. It has liberated the master as well as the slave from a relation which wronged and enfeebled both. It has surrendered to their own guardianship the manhood of more than 5 million people and has opened to each one of them a career of freedom and usefulness. It has given new inspiration to the power of self-help in both races by making labor more honorable to one and more necessary to the other. The influence of this force will grow greater and bear richer fruit with the coming years. So why, you ask, do we reference these words of President Garfield? Didi, tell them why. <laughs> well, like, really, can you imagine 
how much further we would actually be if President Garfield had not been assassinated and had Reconstruction actually would have been able, would have had a real chance with no compromises. Absolutely. Like wow. none. So we point out, um, we point to Garfield's um, words on slavery to point out that under capitalism, each person owns the fruits of their labor. In capitalism alone, only in capitalism do we have the ability to level the playing field. Mm -hmm. And if I, so if I create a product, bake a cake, write a song, no, I'm not baking a cake unless it's from a box. <laughs> I'm not writing a song. Um, or if I build a, a widget, I will reap the benefits of my labor. Mm -hmm. And I can choose to invest in my company or build more widgets, or I can go buy a new pair of shoes, or I can just put it in a garden. Bury it. You mean like you can do whatever you want to with it? Whatever I want to, because it's mine. Spot on. Absolutely. Capitalism equals freedom. Right. Capitalism is freedom. When the product of your labor is owned by a slave master or the state, you are enslaved, period. Yes. So as David would say, state or whether it's a slave master, if they own the product, you know, the fruits of your labor, you are not free. And that is not capitalism in our view. Right. So America could never ever reach its full potential if we had stayed. Um, in a system that continued to enslave people. We were moving towards a more perfect union and moving towards that more perfect union means that people own the fruits of their labor. Okay. And so today the you know gentleman from Vermont, Senator Bernie Sanders and others want to promote the myth that US capitalism is built on the, on the foundation of slavery. He is, he is wrong. Um, now, we agree with him 100% when he says that America was built on the backs of Black people who were enslaved, but our argument first, of, you know, is that slavery is anti-capitalism right. because people do not own the fruits of their labor in slavery. And we also argue that slavery held America back both morally and economically. So without a doubt, it held us back ethically and morally. And it also held us back economically. Mm -hmm. Because check this out, during the American slave trade, it is believed that cotton was king and the world could not live without cotton being produced by slaves. Hello, wrong, 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 wrong song, King Kong, as we assume we were kids. <laughs> But I'm sorry. Did you just say wrong song, King Kong? I did, I did. Because that was wrong. Because freeing the, freeing the slaves proved that the world could survive, would survive without holding people in bondage and stealing the fruits of their labor. Amen. And it turns out that when people actually owned the products of their labor, the economy grew. Mm -hmm. Completely grew. It, I mean, it just flourished. You know what I mean? Yep. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this from um, Ryan McMacken, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, and what he says about, um, about slavery and its role in, in capitalism. So he says, it turned out that the world could survive without Southern cotton, and more importantly, the world 
did not need cotton produced specifically by slaves, nor was it true that the world needed the cheap labor of slavery to produce goods and services economically. Northern immigrants disproved this even before the war. Okay. So just let me say that real quickly. Basically what he's saying is that, and, and we agree that, uh -huh. that we did not need to enslave people we did not need the cheap labor, nope. the cheap labor, because northern immigrants disproved this even before the war. So as you know, Irish immigrants came to the to the um, northern part of the U.S. or all other Italian, all these immigrants came to the northern part of the U.S. They proved that uh, economies could flourish mm -hmm. without enslaving people. Right. Right. So rather than believing um, the, the long narrative that slavery ignited uh, the American economy, is it possible, just possible, that slavery actually held the, the U.S. economy back? Like, well, I mean, this, is, this kind of sounds like something people really don't want to think of it this way, but I actually think that, that um, we, well, we know that slavery not giving people the right to own the products of their labor held America back morally and ethically. So I believe right. that it also held us back economically. Right. You know, we, we've been we, we've been trained to believe that that America flourished because they put people in they they have free labor and they put people they enslave people. But I think that we would have gone further faster if if we had allowed people to own the fruits of their labor. Exactly. So yes. Abigail Adams, wife of President John Adams, she often wrote about um, the sin of slavery and believed that God was punishing America with disease and war because of the moral sin of slavery. Um, if you remember from our last lesson, we, um, we have to look at the evidence and as it relates to the to economics, um, let's look at that evidence. And economist Carl Smith, he gives a concise example of how slavery inhibited the growth of capitalism. So just before independence, the per capita gross domestic product of the South adjusted for inflation was $3,100 per year compared with just $1,832 in New England. Over the next 60 years, Southern per capita GDP actually declined to $2,521. British demand for cotton helped it to recover to $4,000 per person in 1860. But by then, the comparable figure for New England was $5,337. So slave labor was no match for canals, railroads, steel mills, shipyards, Slavery and the parochial rent-seeking culture it, pro it promoted inhibited the growth of capitalism in the South. So ultimately, it was Northern industrial might that ended that peculiar institution in the U.S. once and for all. So we argue that slavery actually prohibited, stifled, and hampered the growth in the South. It stunted the growth of capitalism. So just as President Garfield predicted, when people have power to own the fruits of their labor, 
the influence of the of this force will grow greater and bear much richer fruit. And I know that's a whole lot to to sink in while you're quarantined and you have no place <laughs> to go. You're probably like, woo. But that is we're, good stuff. We're gonna go, we're gonna leave you with that and, and hope you'll come back with us next week where we can finally just begin to bring socialism into, into this discussion. So yes, absolutely good stuff. I love it. And yes, it's a lot to chew on, but the big messaging takeaway, and of course, policy and pound cake is really about messaging um, conservative principles. And the big messaging um, point for this session again is fairness as we okay. talked about last week it's only fair that people control that people own the fruits of their labor period exactly. period period as Dayla would say so if you want the messaging marks um on capitalism visit our website fastpublicaffairs.com and we will see you next week stay safe everyone stay safe